Welcome to Learned Lag, a podcast about yesterday's Learned League questions and answers. I'm Amanda. And I'm George. I'm in Zephyr A, and Amanda is in Zephyr B. This is season 25 for me and season 21 for Amanda. And this is day three of season 93. Our first question asks, uh, what toy line uh, contained a diesel road roller, dump truck, cement mixer, and a bunch of other vehicles, and was named for the container in which it was originally sold? So as I was reading through this one, I figured uh, that it was going to end up being Tonka. Because mm-hmm. the because it was a lot of like you know very construction sort of things yeah and then it got nerfed out by the containers in which they were originally sold oh that yep. that's that's the, uh, the 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 Matchbox the Matchbox mm-hmm. cars okay sure. even though like one of these was a car as such right and I was just I I, I kind of tried to talk myself out of this because like very few of these at the current scale would fit into what I consider to be a matchbox, which is a much yeah. flatter sort of thing. Right. Um, and in most of these, you know, especially a London bus for God's sake are much taller and more, mm-hmm. more, more of a squarish profile from the front sure. uh, than a matchbox. But I, I couldn't think what else it could possibly be mm-hmm. un- unless there was the, you know, plastic box line of trucks uh so i went with matchbox yeah i had basically the same thought process as well um kind of noting along the way that many of these vehicles appear to be british mm-hmm. you know we're talking about the london bus a petrol tanker a land rover um and you know not not that really that really affected my answer it was just kind of a a point of learning to know that matchbox vehicles were originally kind of a british a toy product it does occur to me in retrospect you know i had the same thought of like you know t- matchboxes are usually pretty tiny but there can be bigger ones too um mm-hmm. if you if you buy a box of like kitchen matches or whatever it's a larger uh, yeah okay you know okay sure, sure. two or three inches on a side yeah that makes thing. sense um and so you know that's but i i would think of matchboxes being the little things that you mm-hmm. get from restaurants oh yeah your... yeah Absolutely. Or at least that you used to. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore because of, you know, much lower rates of smoking mm. and the fact that it's not allowed inside the restaurants. That's mostly uh, matchbooks, even, yeah, even match before smoking more. bans took over. Yeah, I mean, but any any matchboxes mm-hmm. you'd see were really tiny oh, yeah, and skinny. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, on the other hand, I think we both are very familiar with matchbox vehicles. So mm-hmm. This was not a, a difficult question, and yeah. I also put down matchbox. And that was correct. Question two asks us who wrote major works that include the words troubadour, fallen woman, pirate, and mask ball in English translation. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm trying to reconstruct my thought process on this one because I did go through and do a process of elimination, even as what I ended up doing is going with the guess that my sort of unconscious brain spat out at me um, towards the end there. And so I was trying to think, you know, what uh, works in particular focused on a fallen woman, because the other ones, I don't think I know of what the translations might be uh, around those. But mm-hmm. I know that there's that, for example, Bizet wrote Carmen and, you know, and, and kind of relatedly in my brain, Orf wrote Carmina Burana. Um, and so I went on there through like La Boheme um, I'm trying to think of there are a couple of other ones that I thought, could that be, you know, 
uh, represent one of these things. But finally, I kind of migrate on over to Italian um, works and La Traviata came to mind. And I was pretty sure that that was, that the meaning of that was fallen woman. Um, and that that's what, that I, I think I've seen it long since. Um, my parents used to, to try to uh, inculcate some culture into me. Um, you know, they get the, the Broadway and opera series when I was a kid, um, like teenage kind of kid. And, and we'd occasionally see, um, you know, Cinderella or there, you know, a few other operas. La Boheme was one of them. Um, Magic Flute probably. And um, so I kind of tried to run myself through, of course, also typical composer names, Mozart and Beethoven, you know, it wasn't either of those, I was pretty sure. Um, so to the Italians is where I ended up. But I thought, you know, who would have written La Traviata? And Verdi was the name that came to mind after I kind of shuffled through Puccini, Rossini. Um, this makes it sound like I know a lot about opera. And I don't feel <laughs> like I do. I probably know more than the average person and maybe have seen more than the average person. Um, but I wouldn't call myself an aficionado or, you know, I, I haven't sought out to be an opera buff or anything like that. Um, I, I have kind of a glancing familiarity with some. So, you know, I as I kind of settled in on my answer, I just kind of felt like Verdi was the one that fit, um, you know, kind of fit best for that particular, what I thought was the right translation of the right title. So I put down Verdi. So, yeah, I immediately figured that these were operas and I tried to come up with what these words would be in presumably Italian. Um, and the only one I could kind of figure out was that probably Troubadour was Traviata. <laughs> Asterisk. Uh -oh. um, so I figured, okay, Travi Traviata, yes, it's, it's an Italian opera. It's very famous. Who did it? I'm pretty sure that it was like an actually Italian, mm -hmm. uh, even though a lot of operas that are in Italian and have Italian names were made by other people because Italian just kind of was the default language of opera for a very long time. Sure. Um, so I tried to think, okay, Italian opera, Verdi? That makes sense. Okay, did Verdi write La Traviata? That sounds correct. We'll go with that. Sure. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was the correct answer. Yep. Asterisk, <laughs> as noted, Traviata means fallen woman. Yes, uh, not troubadour. Not troubadour. So I, I lucked into that one. Yeah, I didn't trouble to look up the other uh, translated ones. I just wanted to make sure. The one that I thought of was, hmm. I was understanding it right. Yeah, Troubadour is uh, uh, Trovatero, I believe. Oh, okay. okay. All right, uh, moving on to question three. We are asked um, about a battle site in South Africa that saw British-led forces defeated by what other warriors? The use of the words warriors and empire mm -hmm. uh, nailed this one down for me. I was pretty sure that it was the Zulu, mm -hmm. uh, just from kind of the holistic kind of reading of the question. Um, but then I, then I kind of started thinking, wait, was this a Boer thing? Were these Dutch? But I just kept coming back to warriors. And using the word warriors, you know, talking about a, a late 19th century battle. Mm-hmm was a conscious choice. Uh, it did not say soldiers. 
mm-hmm. as you would think of a of a of a Europe in a European context. You would think, you know, if it were if it were a Napoleonic uh, battle, you would talk about soldiers. Uh, but warriors makes you think, oh, that's that's not what we think of as soldiers. It's not. It's probably mm. not a European type force. So I'm going to go back to Zulu. Was were the Zulu an empire? Yes, I believe they could be described as such, and have been. Um, and was Sandalwana uh, a, a famous British versus Zulu battle? That sounded correct to me. Mm. Um, I, I haven't studied those in detail, but I've heard of them enough that that kind of tripped a synapse and said, yeah, go with that. Let's mm-hmm. go with Zulu. And I did. Yeah, this is one where just kind of being a little more conscious of news from Africa and by extension, African history, um, you know, pays off a little bit because I honestly, if we're talking about it, I think I sort of implicitly had the logic chain that you've talked about where if it was warriors from other, from another empire, then we're talking about an ind- indigenous force in Africa as opposed to, you know, some other European power clashing with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I think of an empire with warriors in South Africa, then Zulu is kind of the automatic mm-hmm. um, assumption there. Um, and so I... Nothing else about the question tried to disabuse me of that. Um, so I put down Zulu and didn't really think about it much harder because I didn't think there was really any other possibility. Mm, yeah. And that was correct. And even I, I noted when I when I looked it up later that even Wikipedia refers specifically to warriors on the Zulu side and troops on the British side. Mm-hmm. Like within the same sentence. Yeah. Question four asks us for the name of a cave site and prehistoric humans uh, found in the Dordogne region of France. And this is another one where I happen to have um, either, I, I feel like this might have been a recent Jeopardy question, mm. um, or other I, I otherwise uh, heard about it recently so that it was kind of fresh in my mind enough to come up quickly. Um, and I had read previously that uh cro-magnon humans were or prehistoric uh, homo sapiens were found in france and i i think that i had uh helped make that link because uh it was one of those things where i realized i had a an assumption about what cro-magnon stood for i thought it was some sort of latinate scientific name and that you know not bothering to question for as many years that I've heard of them, uh, that crow is not really a prefix of a Latin, you know, type of taxonomy or anything like that, nor, you know, magnon sounds vaguely like that too. But, um, my understanding is that this is just a French place name and it's really more like Cro-Magnon, um, you know, pronounced in the, the proper, you know, accent i suppose and um so that bit of knowledge had stuck with me that just associated cro-magnon as we would say it with france and so i figured france fossil hominids you know thirty thousand years ago kind of like it's not neanderthals because that's in the in germany i want to say i believe so yes um 
it, because that's the Neander Valley or something that they were yes. found in, right? Tall meaning valley. There you go. Um, and so I, I figured this would then be, uh, this then kind of had to be uh, Cro-Magnon. And so that's what I put down. Uh, yeah, I I first thought of Lesko as, oh, yeah. as, as the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought, I don't think those are, I don't think there's like a Lesko people. Right. I don't think it's also the name of the prehistoric Homo sapiens. Um, so I, I kind of started thinking like, okay, uh, I remember when I was learning about this sort of thing when I was in like middle school or elementary school or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And there were basically three types of early humans hominids. Mm-hmm. You had your Austropo- Austropo- Australopithecus. Australopithecus. You had your Neanderthals. You had your Cro-Magnons. And then I thought, <laughs> Cro-Magnon. Okay, now I, now I know that Neanderthal is in Germany. And I know that Australopithecus is Latin. Cro-Magnon, I never really thought about it, but yeah, that totally sounds like it could be a French sort of place. Cro-Magnon, same as you, yeah. I never really interrogated it, but sure. Okay. Yeah, okay, we'll go with Cro-Magnon. And I, I, I did spend a little time thinking, well, wait, is is the cave site like Magnon? And the crow is, is something like, you know, primitive mm. or early or Proto. something like that. Proto, yeah. So, so it... Or, are we is Thorson just looking for Magnon? Oh. Or is he looking for Cro-Magnon? We'll go with Cro-Magnon just to be mm-hmm. just to be as thorough as possible. I mean it does say the name is shared with the mm-hmm. the Homo sapiens. Right. You know, group. Yeah. So But that that just kind of made me think like is there a Cro-Magnon and a some other kind of Magnon? Oh, an is, anti-Magnon. I I, I don't know. <laughs> oh. oh. As far as I remember, no, I, there were three you. types of early hominids. I think yeah, there's no. more now. Um, uh, but yeah, maybe maybe there is a, a Cro-Magnon and a Trans-Magnon or Cis-Magnon mm. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, that is the correct answer is Cro-Magnon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it kind of, it's funny to answer a question about hominid fossils with our sort of fossilized knowledge yeah. of... Of, of these things mm-hmm. that gets, you know, occasionally gets updated years and years later. And it's weird to think about how it's kind of sat there in amber, mm-hmm. you know, just being wrong-ish yeah. um, for, for a few decades on yeah. end. Uh, question five asks us about an honoree at uh, Oprah Winfrey's Legends Ball, who was a poet and civil rights activist um, who wrote the 1968 poem, Nikki Rosa. So I thought, okay, self-referentially titled, I couldn't really think of a poet named Nikki Rosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing floated to mind. And then I thought, I believe that Maya Angelou had a different birth name. Yes. Um, and not one that she just, and like she didn't marry Bob Angelou and right. she was originally Maya Smith. It, it was a completely different name as I recall. Mm-hmm. And I thought, could it have been Nikki Rosa? It certainly could have. Could she have written this poem in 1968? Absolutely. Does Oprah Winfrey love Maya Angelou? Very much. Sure. Let's say Maya Angelou then. I had basically the same thought um, was that I knew that Maya Angelou, it was her sort of not pen name, but kind of uh, adopted name Mm -hmm. um, and our chosen name. And so I just, that was my best guess at this one because I, you know, I don't have the, a good depth of knowledge about poets in particular um, in this area. And I'm still working on brushing up my 
kind of civil rights, I should mention, I misspoke that this, uh, the, the person who's the topic of this question was uh, a poet and educator, it says, um, not civil rights activists mm. per se, um, but, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit by default in, she, in the she, way that these things happen. She is considered to be one, yes. Okay. Well, I just, it, mm. I kind of imputed that from the, mm. the context of the question, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I put down my Angelou because that was really the, you know, the one kind of link I could grab on mm-hmm. to the question. Yeah, it was Nikki Giovanni. I feel, who I feel like I've heard of maybe mm-hmm. once in passing. I, I've heard of her. I've read some of her stuff, but yeah, mm-hmm. she's not at the, at the front of my mind. And yeah. also, also not, uh, her, her name is, her birth name was not Nikki or in fact, Rosa. Oh. Her birth name is Yolanda Cornelia Giovanni Jr. Huh. Interesting. Named after her mother, uh-huh. Yolanda Cornelia Sr. How about that? Very, very progressive. Interesting. Yeah. So Nikki was a, uh, a childhood nickname that she stuck with. Huh. Okay, then. See, now I have, now I have like, a micron more depth of knowledge about <laughs> that, that person and group of people. Question six asks us what beverage company uh, produces kiwi strawberry, mango madness, watermelon lemonade, and peach tea, as well as a drink that it named itself after. Right. Uh, So this was Snapple. Um, The kiwi strawberry in particular was one that I remembered very much, Mm. like from my college eras when I feel like Snapple was just sort of all the rage and um, they had lots of ads on TV and just kind of like they were prominent in, I don't know, my demographics consciousness, I feel like, um, which makes sense for something that was founded in New York in 1972, uh, being that I was founded in Grand Rapids in 1973. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, um, I just figured this had to be Snapple. Um, I did think that it was clearly trying to lead people away from Snapple in the sense of that... Um, Iced tea is kind of like the the primary product, I feel like, that mm-hmm. Snapple has really, um, you know, sold over the years. And this really talks about kind of like, here's their, you know, three fruit flavored drinks. And oh, by the way, there's a tea one as well. Like that's that's a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. that that's asking you to have perhaps a little more Snapple knowledge than just, you know, the, the standard iced tea sweetened or not or whatever that they... Um, have sold a ton of, at least that's my sense of it. I, I feel like that was what was advertised as the the iced tea much more than uh, some of these other things. Uh, anyway, the the long and short of it is I knew this was Snapple, primarily because kiwi strawberry was my favorite of those um, <laughs> options, and so that's what I put down. Reasonable. Uh, yeah, I as I was reading this, I thought, oh, these are Snapple, right? And then I thought, New York, 1972. Hmm, I don't know. That seems earlier than i would have placed snapple like it seemed it always seemed to me like a very 80s thing probably because that's when i first encountered it sure uh, at least to my knowledge um but then yeah name itself named after an offering and i thought snapple yeah that does sound like a flavor that they would uh that they would go for Mm -hmm. so sure we'll say snapple and that was the correct answer so that gave us both five out of six. Same five. And the same five. And the same wrong answer in the sixth. 
doesn't happen often. Yeah, it's very, um, very simpatico today, and it makes you think about like our uh, sort of shared, you know, Gen X experience or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, especially as you know, it's coming up on one of our birthdays, mm -hmm. kind of coming up on both of our birthdays. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we're, you know, we are that close in age that some of these <laughs> things are going to be yep. real similar. So, uh, d as far as defending this one, you know, I think I defended it correctly because I assigned the three pointer to the, the Nikki Giovanna question and was correct in doing so, yeah. even though I thought, you know, my Angelou is pretty well known, but my opponent's literature scores are not, you know, at, at the top of their, uh, possibilities. And then when I read the answer, I was like, oh, well, yes, no, there, it's not, <laughs> That's uh, a tougher question than I even realized. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I threed Zulu for both of my opponents because they uh. both had a very low, very much lower world history score okay. than their literature score. Sure. So we'll hmm. see how it goes. Yeah, I would say if you're likely to miss the Giovanni question, then not to stereotype, but you might also be likely to miss the uh, Zulu question. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, maybe, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Kind of, I guess you got to kind of hope so for your sake. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for today. Tune in tomorrow for more post-game analysis. And remember, don't forfeit. Don't cheat.